0: Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: If you'll notice on the backside of your handout, I wrote a sentence there. I put down our understanding of God's lessons for us in this passage hinges upon one question, and I only want to give you one question. Where is the temple of God today? Now, I could talk to you about the temple that's in Jerusalem now. I've been to it three times. I've been to the outside, the Wailing Wall, or the outside of the area of the temple. been to the Dome of the Rock. I've been to a place that's kind of hidden down a dark street where they're actually making the implements for the new temple that will be constructed in the future. So even the Jews know that the temple will be rebuilt. They just don't understand, according to Scripture, who's going to be in it and why it's going to be there and all of that. But the simple point is that this is not what we're talking about, that temple. What I believe now, we're going to move away from this temple of a building that keeps getting destroyed, that will be rebuilt, but not to the same level. He's really talking about, listen now, two temples. In a moment, he's going to talk about his own body being the temple, and I'll get to that in a moment. But I want to now talk about our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I say that is because if he refers to his body as the temple, then I could refer to my body as being a temple. The difference now being is that my temple is still flawed and has problems. But I also know, according to scripture, that I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so now he lives within me. And so I become the temple. So here's what I want to make perfectly clear. Here in this building that we're in now, we refer to it as a sanctuary. I'm... I'm not as comfortable calling it a sanctuary, but I don't know if I want to call it a worship center. I don't know if I want to call it a prayer house. I don't know if I want to call it an auditorium. I don't even know what to call it. So sanctuary isn't so bad. So we refer to it as a sanctuary, but it's kind of a loose understanding of a sanctuary. One thing we do not call this here is a temple because we know in scripture that there's no building, literally, that God would say, is his temple any longer? That's all gone. He says the real temple is going to be you and me. So now, when I look at you and me and us in here, I do take this room, and even though it's not God's house, it's God's house as much as my car is God's car and your house is God's house and your telephone is God's telephone and God owns everything the cattle on thousand hills. Yeah, but it's not, it's not a super-duper sanctified place. It, wherever I go, it can be sanctified as I'm sanctified and I bring that into the place or location that I'm at. This now, though, is a place that we still, with appropriate understanding... It's a rallying point. It is a place where we have chosen as believers to say, we're going to come into this room here at least every Sunday, maybe more, and we're going to gather together for the purpose of what? Here it is. Praise, prayer, worship, and even some study because that's part of it as well. We also know that this is a very special place, so we don't play basketball in here. We don't have the kids come in here. We prefer people not to eat in here. Now, does that mean you're sinful if you do all of that? I don't think so. I I think it just might not be the wisest thing that we do. I think it's probably not the best way to take this. I think it's a place where we want to say, this is our place. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on on that. It's a place that I, I, I enjoy coming in here during the middle of the week when there's nobody here. I come here and I hear the traffic and... I hear the buzz of the light sometimes, but I think of you all and I'm all alone in here and there is a specialness of this, but it's not something special that God has anointed. It's just special. And you can have your special place. But now let's talk about our bodies for a second. If you will go back to your notes, all right? When Jesus came in and he drove them out, there's three thoughts you might want to keep in mind. He showed his absolute absolute divine refusal to put up with impurities of any kind in our life. Now, when he got in there, he didn't say, let's get most of these doves out of here. Let's take all the little cattle away, or let's just take the big cattle away, or let's just take the cattle but leave the sheep. No, he didn't do that. He walked in there, and the first thing he did is he heard the bellowing of the, of the cattle. He heard, he heard the bleeding of the sheep. He heard the cooing of the, of the doves, and he saw this activity. I mean, the place was, again, just rocking, and he says, this is just not right. And when he did it, he did a thorough cleansing from top to bottom. I don't know what else he did. I don't know if he came in there and swept out all the dung. I don't know that. I do know this, that he made such a statement that the people visibly knew what was going on, that this needed to be cleaned out. And so I look at myself and I say, he, no place for any of that junk that's in our life. And you know what? I'd like to speak to some of you ladies here for a moment. Now don't, you, I'm going to bless you right now. You really like to keep a clean house and I know you do. And I know that you moms are out there and you clean the house and you tell your kids when they come in, you make sure those slippers at the front door, your head, don't touch the walls, don't touch the walls, you're dirty. You want that place real clean. I remember when I was first married, uh, Carol and I, we talked this story a lot. It's, it's, it's funny now, but not funny then. Um, Carol does not like bugs. I haven't met too many women who do, unless you're a scientist or something, or brain damage. But she, um, she doesn't like bugs or rats and flying things in the house and all this. And, and I'm her husband. I'm the new man, you know. I'm the protector against those mean, vicious palmetto bugs. And so in our little place, it was in a, South Florida, in the Groves, Coconut Grove area, and we had all these palmetto bugs, a lot of foliage around, no air conditioning. We paid $95 a month for our, our apartment, so you can imagine what it was like. And my job was to, well, her job was to find the bugs, which was easy. My job was to um, eliminate the bugs. I have to be careful, this you have children listening. And so I would do all of this stuff. And we were going to bed one night. We've only been married like six months. And she said, there is a bug in this room. I could not point. He's gone. He's here. I heard him fly. I can't find him. There's a bug in here. And I said, "Okay, just let me know when you find him. So now I'm in bed. And I'm just about falling asleep. And when I fall asleep, I really, I'm gone. I am gone. And the next thing I did is I fell under the covers I felt this bug go right here and it was right, going right up to where I didn't want him to go, you know, kind of thing. And I, I, I have to tell you, all the Tarzan and me jumped out of this bed. I threw back the covers. I'm shaking the pillow and I'm yelling, Get this thing out of here! Where, where's this thing right here? And my poor wife is next to me. And I didn't give her a heart attack because she was laughing so hard. She purposely took her toe and ran it up my leg, you know. And that's a true story. Now, I'm, I, I'm lighting this up only for a moment. But I have not met any normal human being that um, didn't want to have a clean house. So it's normal in our normal life. You can certainly understand that it's normal in the Lord's life. But I also like you to know that God does not want impurities in our life. And it's not just about bugs and rats and all that stuff. It's about those sins that you might be thinking about right now. Here's the second. What does Jesus want to drive out of your life? Now, I don't have time to make all the applications. There's just so many. But I'm going to ask you right now. What do you believe God wants you to have driven out of your life? It's a sin in your life. You know that it's wrong. The Holy Spirit's told us it. that emotion is a greed is a bitterness is it moral impurity in some fashion of any of it? That, is that I've been doing this a long time. But I, I, I know people and I could go to you right now and look at you for just a moment and I could tell you what is that secret sin that you have. If, if I could, I could put it up on the screen and if I did, you'd all flee. And you know what your secret sin is? The one you're thinking about right now. Okay, I'm just joking. Not. I know you're. Th- That's the one. God says, get that out of there. And He says, I'm going to help you do that. Look at number three. God deals with us in patience, but will not put up with sin. Do not mistake His patience for acceptance. Some of you might think that God's going to drop the hammer down if you trust Christ. No, He's not. He will be patient with you. But I want you to know that even in His patience and long suffering, He will be sending you messages. He'll be sending you messages through preaching. He'll be sending you messages through teaching. And the content of those messages won't be the preacher, the teacher, but it's going to be the word of God. You're going to hear it from others. You're going to watch others. The Holy Spirit will be bringing verses back to you. And it's a probability that your conscience will be affected by the Spirit all working together to help you know you need to to deal with this. But I also will tell you that as soon as it begins to work and if you start saying no to him... He's going to come at you a little bit stronger, a little bit stronger, a little bit stronger. Now, he will spank you, but he'll never cast you out of his family. But he could take you home before his time. Read 1 John. He could take you home before your time. There's a lot of debate over this, and I know what side of the debate I stand on. There is two cleansings of the temples that are mentioned in all four Gospels. There are some Bible teachers that say that there's only one cleansing of it, and this cleansing that we're reading here actually is taken out of context, out of chronology, and it should be at the later end. I believe Jesus cleansed the temple twice. I have good reasons to to do that. Maybe at another time I'll share that with you. In a way, I'm kind of glad that it is recorded two different times because two different cleansing, because I do believe there's going to be that initial cleansing. And I think of all of you, I don't care how sanctified you think you are, I think you've had that cleansing early on, but it's very easy that the little foxes have come in to spoil the vine and that the Lord might have to come back and cleanse you again. And so you're going to have that second cleansing and maybe the third cleansing and the fourth cleansing. I'm not talking about you get more of the spirit each time, but I am talking about that there's this time that the Lord has to keep cleansing. And I don't know, but God might be taking His word today that some of you know that you are regarding something right now that you have not let loose of. And the Lord now is maybe lovingly, graciously knocking on your door. But I will tell you, if He can come in and cleanse the temple like He did right here, I, I can only tell you that God will go as far as He needs to go to cleanse you on the inside. I don't know what it'll be. It'll always be done with grace. He'll always love you. He'll never do it because He hates you. Whatever it is is going to be for what we might say remedial. It might be restorative purposes for you. But whatever it is, it could be pretty, pretty challenging. It wouldn't surprise me if we had the time and you had the courage. If I gave you the microphone, some of you could get up here and say, I remember my first cleansing. I remember my second and my third and my fourth. And I remember what God did. What kind of things he had to rope together to get my attention. What he had to turn over in my life. I'm living now with those scars. Don't feel guilty about that now. Celebrate and use those scars as a place to look at and say, Hey, look, this is where God got my attention. So I use it as a reminder, not to condemn me, but to remind me. So that might be the case for you as well. So God will deal in patience with you. How precious that is. But remember, there's two ways you can do this. One is when you trust Christ as Savior, you're allowing the Lord to come into your life. It says, to as many as received him, to them gave you right to become the sons of God, to those who believe in his name. If you receive him, he comes in. Now, how do you receive him so he comes in? You do the believing part. You don't have to beg him to come in. You just say, Lord, I believe you died and you rose again and I'm coming to you by faith alone. And he says, okay, I'll come in now. You're receiving me. I'm coming in. And now he'll take your body, which is the temple, and begin to cleanse cleanse it. Instantly, positionally, you're already cleansed, but now a complete cleansing. And that begins to happen as certain things fall off. And then there'll be times where that in your life, he's already there, but now you're going to unleash him again. So while you might work on some things in your life, just remember it was the Lord who cleansed the temple. And you're going to partner with the Lord by you saying, Yes, Lord, I am now telling you this is an issue with me. And I'm giving it to you, and together, Lord, I'll do my part, what you want me to do. I'm going to surround myself with the right people. I'm going to get into your word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get away from the wrong things and influences of my life. I'll do that part of it. But, Lord, now you supernaturally cleanse me from within. And I'm going to tell you, the Lord smiles, and he delights in that. And it'll be a great thing for you as well. Well, there was two reactions when Jesus did all that cleansing of the temple. So let's look at it very quickly here. let so what was the two reactions? His disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Woo! You talk about the, the disciples seeing the zeal. You know what they really saw was the heart of the Lord. Saw the heart of the Lord. And the religious leaders, what did they do? Verse 18, it says, The Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? It's kind of interesting. The disciples saw the heart because they're the ones that said, Look at the zeal of the Lord. Oh, this, I can, He's got zeal. He's got the Lord's zeal in him. They saw the heart. The religious leaders, they just said, what gives you the right to do this? Who are you to do this in this place? What, you, show us your card. Show us your authority. Who told you you could do this? It kind of reminds me a lot of people, too. You know, it's like, who, who, what, what Christian has a right to tell me? What pastor has a right to? What, 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 it, it's all about rights. And the Lord says, it's not until we realize we have no rights that he has all the rights to do whatever he wants. And by the way, that's sometimes easy preaching and hard living. When you hear that I have no rights, it doesn't mean you don't have any responsibilities. It just means you have no rights. But now, that means he has all the right to do anything he wants. And most people theologically will say, yes, he has rights. Until with his rights he does something we don't understand. And when we don't understand it, we generally don't agree with it until we do understand it. And sometimes we'll never understand it. And that's where we have to come back to say, you know what, my theology is still bigger than that. And it says, I don't have to understand it because I know my God is a God of love as well as a God who's in control and authority. And so that's where we have to come to, and those guys didn't realize it. Go to the next part right here. It's so cool as he continues on with this explanation here. John does. Two questions that we might ask from this. Why do we resist God when he seeks to have control of our life and to cleanse us? Why do, why do we fight God? Why, why do we do that? I think it's because we've got comfortable in our old ways. I think super... Not super, not supernatural, but naturally... I think once we create within us a system of doing things, even around the house, normal things the way we do it, we get so comfortable, all we've got to do is change things, and we, we're not comfortable with that any longer. We're not really sure we really like it. I'm having a little trouble with my eyes, folks. Uh, not, not a whole lot, but I'm having a little trouble. And uh, so um, I need more light when I read. And I guess people just say, you're not having trouble, you're just getting old, man. That's all this might be the case. Well, Carol, while I was uh, out yesterday doing stuff, she went out and she bought me a light that she hooked up to our bed. And it's one of those, it it looks like if you're a dentist, you know, kind of comes over and it comes around like this and it's like 15 million, you know, watts kind of thing right here, burning a hole in my Bible as I'm reading kind of a thing. Well, my first reaction should have been what a great wife. If all the men would have a wife like mine, we'd be so much better on this earth. Now the freak, what'd you get that? Will it scratch the wood? You know, will it be too bright? Well, how do you plug this thing in? What happens if it shines in my eyes? You know why? Because I have a comfort level here. And if it's not comfortable, then I begin to resist it. And she says, as a sweet woman, she says, now stand, I've got it all hooked up for you. Go lay in the bed. I'll turn it on and see if you like it. So she clicked it on. And I... Almost licked her face. It was so nice. It was so great. My point is simply this. That's a light. That's dumb. That's, I mean, it's, I don't want to care. That's really great. Okay, but I mean, but, but, but God's not talking about those little inconveniences where someone sat in your pew or you came to church or in your parking lot. It's talking about the things that we got so used to doing, the television shows we've been watching, the movies we go to, the things that are affecting our thought patterns in our life that could all of a sudden change us. And we got this way, so we resist when God wants to cleanse us or to take us another, to another level of, of, of progressive sanctification, we'll call it, for you deeper people. Or just simply spiritual growth for the others. So how can I develop a zeal for God's temple? Well, I put down some things that help me. Uh, and, and these are things, as long as I'm you know, partnering with God in these, they help me. They're very simple. They're, they're not, when I give it to you, you're going oh, I already know that, oh, I already know that. Well, good, if you know it, great, now do it. Number one is prayer. I find that when I'm praying, and I don't mean just rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, God. I'm talking about an intimate time of communing with the Lord, shutting off the, the stuff of life that's good so I can just have time with the Lord that's great. The second thing is, when I hang around other Christians that have the same desired mindset that I have. Now, did you hear what I just said? By hanging around other Christians who have the same desired mindset that I have. I don't want to hang around Christians that are just like me because I'll be just like them and I won't go to the next level. When you guys play tennis or racquetball or when you're in competition, you generally want to play with a player who's better than you are because they're stretching you. Well, if you do that in sports, you've got a teacher of music that's better than you, pulling you along. Stre- then you want to do it with other Christians. So you want to get involved in ministry and serve But there's also another area that I think is really, really critical, and that is you have to have the right foundation. And before you do all of that, here's what you have to understand. It's in your notes. Get it out. 1 Corinthians 6. Here's the foundation. Here it is. It says this in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Don't you know that? Okay, implying you ought to know that. All right, so you know that, people that are listening to me right now. You know your body, as a Christian, Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is in you. God is in you. The hope of glory. The Spirit is in you. You are owned by God. All right, so he is in you. Then it says, whom you have from God. You didn't get it from anything you did yourself. God gave it to you as a gift. It came from God. And that you are not your own. Underline that. For you have been bought with a price, his blood. Therefore glorify God in your body. So the foundation is simply this. We are owned, lock, stock and barrel by the Lord. I am owned by God. So listen, listen. So I can preach all day long about praying and giving and reading your Bible, but until you and I come to the point where we say, listen, I have to dedicate myself to the Lord. He bought me, He owns me, and whatever He wants for my life or does with my life or go with my life or give with my life, it is okay because He owns me and my body and my life. He owns everything about me. I was in His mind before I was in my mother's womb. I had purpose. It's all of God. So once I realize that, then it makes reading the Scripture abiding in the word, praying, fellowshipping with better Christians. More easy than I've ever been through before. That's the foundation. So that's how you cleanse your temple is by realizing who owns this whole thing. Well, I'm I'm out of time here, so I'll just rattle through and we'll end. Jesus answered and said, destroy this temple in three days. I'll raise it up again. And they say, hey, it took us 46 years to build it. That's why I think that's around 26 AD. But it's not about dates and all. It's just about Jesus looks at it one way. He's talking about a different temple. They're looking at it another way. They're looking at another temple. Why is that? Because in the Old Testament, the temple represented the body of Christ. But in the New Testament, the bodies, our bodies, have become the temple of God when we trust Christ as Savior. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples then remembered what he said. They remembered the scripture and they thought, ah, now I know what he said. Three days later, he's going to pop out again. Now I get it. I have to tell you something. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on this one. How many of you have read scripture and you didn't get it, but you read it anyway because you're obedient and we we, we all do that. And then later on, somehow, you got more truth or someone explained it to you and you said, oh, that's what that means. Would you raise your hand if that happened to you? So let's not beat up on these disciples. You know, they find out, oh, duh, I could have had a V8. Finally got it. Verse 23 through 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, that means after he cleansed the temple, he's still there in the city. Many believed in his name, observing his signs. And by the way, there are at least seven signs that are mentioned in the book of John. Some say eight, some say seven. Don't fight over it. He just did many signs. But he did It goes on to say, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them for he knew all men and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man for he himself knew what was in man. All right, some of you are saying, I don't know, what in the world is he trying to say? Here's what I think he's trying to say. He's trying to say, I know what's in the heart of people. I know what's in the heart of the crowds. I know that some of them are believing on me, but I'm still not going to trust them that their belief is authentic. They might believe on him as some big miracle worker. They might believe on him as someone who's different in the city. But I don't believe this was, I am putting my faith alone in him. Remember K-A-T, knowledge. They're now knowing who he is. They're accepting him. Maybe he's God. But I don't believe they're fully trusting in Christ yet at that time. So those people were coming along, but they didn't have the finished faith. I'd like to close with a couple of thoughts to leave you with if you want to take something home here. Uh, kind of a capitulation of everything in a paragraph. I want to make it simple, and I promise we will get out of here. Um, When I look at this, I'm really seeing not just a story about cleaning out the temple. I am seeing the Lord Jesus Christ as being Almighty God and having full deity. That being the case, then I look at Him as having the right to purge sin like He was doing. Secondly, I see Him talking about His own resurrection. So as God... He did die and he rose again for the sins of the world so that we would be justified and have eternal life by faith alone. I also see at the end of this that he knew the hearts of people because he is God and he knows those who are truly trusted in Christ and those who are just acting and giving the lip service to trusting in Christ but have never placed a full confidence in Christ alone for their salvation. He knows all three of those. And I don't know where you and I are right now, but I hope you would say to yourself, I know that I'm a sinner, I know God hates sin, but he loves a sinner. I know that Jesus died and he rose again. He talked about that and the disciples recognized that was truth and he was God after he did all of that. I hope you do that. And then finally, I hope you'd be part of the people today that would say when Jesus looks at us and he can see our heart, he could say, yep, that's an authentic believer. They have really trusted in me. I'm going to tell you that whole thing about the temple has a lot of stories, but maybe just grab. He is God. He is God. He is God. And since he is God, he wants to clean. He wants to give you a new life. He wants you to have authentic faith. Would you trust Christ right now? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we thank you that you have chosen to put this true story in Scripture and be so descriptive of it as we saw you in a way that we have not seen you perhaps act in any other way than when you want to cleanse the temple. That you are God and you have the right to do that because God would want a clean and pure temple. And that, Father, that you said that the temple, your body, would be raised again. And it was, and it was witnessed afterwards, and it is truth. It really did happen because you are God. And that as God, you also know the hearts of everybody who's in this room right now. Those that need to allow you to come in by placing their faith alone in you and receiving you as their Savior without the deeds of the law, without anything else, just simple faith. And so, Father, I pray right now that if there's anyone in here who has not called upon you to be their Savior because you are the Lord, that they would do it right now. They would not put it off. For, Father, since you are the Lord, you know when the end of our life will be. You've given us this opportunity to hear this message. There is a reason we are hearing it today. And I pray now that we are responding to the conviction of the Spirit and trusting you. And then, Father, I pray for any in here that are already believers That we would look at our bodies as being bought by you, by your precious blood. And we don't own our bodies and our minds and our life. It's all yours. So we can kind of give you our life, but you already own it anyway. So we're just giving you back something that you already paid for. We're going to say you're the owner, not us. You're the manager, not us. So it's now yours. And so, Lord, we want a clean temple. We want a clean body. And so we're asking you, come on in, Lord. And Lord, if you've got to turn over some tables and if you've got to chase some things out that we're going to say it's okay for us not to be comfortable because it's more important for us to be pure. And so, Lord, we're going to partner with you. You reveal what we should do. You do what you should do. And we're going to walk out of here cleansed, you receiving the glory, and prayerfully others would see the difference and want to know you as we do. And Father, I pray for the folks in here now that they'll do that. In Jesus' name, amen.